right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's edition of RCST, which is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, got a couple guests lined up to join us. Coming up at 3.40, Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Coming up at 5.05, it'll be uh, one of the new KU women's basketball assistant coaches with Patrick Schrader. And then we've also got a couple RCST trivia matchups today. Some heavy hitters going today, so it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we have Brian Borland audio. We have some KU football player audio. It's going to be a fun show. You know, we've mostly been leading off our shows lately with football stuff. I, I did want to lead something off with a little KU basketball, though, here, as, as mostly the rest of the show will be some football because this will be our last show before the Puerto Rico trip. Um, tomorrow's well, they're already game. They're already there. They're, well, yeah, the, so the first game, I should say. So yes, technically, you're right. the trip has already started. Yes. This will be our first or our last show before the first Puerto Rico game. Yes. Um, they're playing tomorrow at 11 o'clock, pregame 1030. You can hear it here on KLWN, KLWN.com. Or the KLWN app, as well as our sister station, 105.9 KISS, 105.9 KISS app, or 105.9KISS.com. So, plenty of ways for you to listen to the game uh, tomorrow, and we'll be able to react to it. I, I think we're going to have Brian Haney on the show tomorrow, so he'll give us the, the in-person view of, of everything he saw. We'll obviously just be able to listen to it. Uh, I don't think the game's actually on TV. Um, so, I, I wanted to talk a little, like, what can we watch for or learn in KU's Puerto Rico trip in this game. Is there anything that sticks out to you about something you're most interested to see, hear, whatever you want to say? You can't really say watch, but uh, for for the three mm. games upcoming and for tomorrow. Uh, I'm excited to see Nick Timberlake shooting. I'm excited to see KJ Adams and what he's done in the offseason to continue to build his game. Obviously, Hunter Dickinson. I mean, this is going to be your first time seeing him or having him in real game action wearing KU jersey, which is really exciting in and of itself. Uh, so I think there's a lot to be excited about. That being said, especially depending on how many of the supposed NBA guys may be playing or not uh, in these games against KU, I, I'm going to be very, very careful about trying not to overreact too much to starting lineups because I, I don't I don't know. I mean, if you're if you're KU and you know you're going to play a team with like DeAndre Ayton, Buddy Heald, like at that point, obviously these are exhibitions for KU, but you would probably treat it a little differently than if you thought you maybe had a chance to win. Sure. <laughs> right? Whereas if the Bohemian National team rolls out a lineup with Ayton and Buddy Heald and one of the Thompson brothers, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So that's why I don't, I don't want to – I'm not going to try to overreact too much to like starting lineups and box score and stuff, just because that's not really what this is about for KU. I mean, we we talked about it earlier in the summer when this trip was first announced, how great this was for KU because of the fact that 
you have a, a team with a, a smorgasbord of guys of different backgrounds, of guys who are experienced players, but this is their first year under KU, uh, under Bill Self, uh, of guys that are transfers but have had some experience, and then you've got a, you've got some veterans in there as well that know Bill Self system. So you've got a wide range of players that you're smashing together. With the common denominator, the common denominator being that mo- they have a lot of talent, mm-hmm. right? But that obviously doesn't translate to just being good when it comes to a sport of basketball. You have to have team chemistry. You have to have be able to run sets. You have to be able to communicate on defense and all that stuff. And that is the stuff that KU is going to get a big bonus in from this trip, which we talked about earlier in the summer. And that type of stuff, you there's no way to quantify it. You can't look at the box score and say, wow, they gained plus X percentage of team trust together. Wow, look at their team chemistry in the box score. That's not in there. So that that type of stuff is what I'm most interested in, and that's the type of stuff that it's going to be most. Uh, I don't I don't think difficult is the right word, but it'll be most. Uh, it, there won't be a real way to be like, okay, yes, they definitively are doing this, whatever, right? So, but to me, that's the most important thing about this trip. Uh, I don't think I, I'm not going to view KU any differently if they go 0 and three and get and lose by 40 points every game. Or if they go three and zero and win every game, well, I take that. If they go three and zero and win every game, <laughs> I'll think they're gonna never lose again. You think but, the world of them, yeah. <laughs> but the point being is like, yeah. What if what if Hunter Dickinson goes for thirty and twenty on DeAndre Ayton and and they win by thirty points? Yeah, that would undefeated be, talk. That would that get be started. Something, yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, this is not a this is a trip where it's not about the results. It's about the process. It's about what these guys do playing together. How can they get better at you know with that stuff because again this is a team now with Kevin McCuller back it looks a little better but remember the discussion originally was with with before Kevin McCuller decided to come back it was you got a bunch of new guys and then you have Harris and Adams who you know Harris is not a guy that is a real vocal leader and KJ Adams is maybe still growing into that role a little bit you get Kevin McCuller back so now you now you do have that but you still have other players that are experienced at the college level, but not under Bill Self system and not with this particular team. And that's going to be, I think, the most critical part of this trip is having a chance to to play against an actual opponent before you get to the regular season. Yes. I, I think you nailed it, basically, that the team results don't really matter. I am more interested in what happens with some of the individuals. Um, I... I I agree with you in the sense of the starting lineup thing. Like, I I think it'll give us a, bre- a bread cum- crumb trail. Like, it, it'll give us a bit of an idea on who's being favored right now. But like, there's still two months before the season. You know, who, whoever starts at the two in these games, it could very much be different too. I remember last off season, Zach Clements was thought of as being the starting center in the off season, and then those two months happened, and he ended up not being part of the rotation. So. There is a lot that can change over those two months. So yeah, I'm not I'm not overly concerned with that. I just am interested in some of the individual performances. And it becomes more interesting to me if you do get some of those professionals playing. Like let's say Buddy Heald does play and like Kevin McCuller is guarding him. And Buddy Heald goes, I don't know, six of sixteen or something. We already know Kevin McCuller's a good defender, but that would say like another level of it. You know, if DeAndre Ayton is playing Hunter Dickinson and Dickinson goes for twenty and twelve. Get get the national player of the year, you know, excitement ready, right? Like, like those are the the, <laughs> so the you are, things. You so you are ready to just kind of overreact to things. Well, from individual stuff, yeah, from individual stuff for sure. Um, 
I am most intrigued, though, by just K.J. Adams in general. Yeah. How does he look? What does he look like in a different position? Do we see any of the mid-range advancement? Do we Again, see him shoot his threes? His position he was supposed to play originally. Sure. By the way. Yeah. Do we see him shooting threes at a high volume? No. What? Okay, what's the over-under on KJ or KJ Adams threes uh, over the three games combined? Like four. You don't want to just set it at one a game? Over-under of three. Okay, three. Sure. Would you take the over or the under? Under. <laughs> I'm not saying made. I'm saying attempted. Under. You'd still take under? Yes. What's the number? He attempted like three all no, season. He did last year. In but isn't games. this the scenario where you can get away with launching up a three? No, I disagree. No, if he launches up a three, he's getting pulled immediately. I don't think in this setting. I really? think there's a little bit more that Bill Self is like. I like. What if Bill Self actually wants to see it? What if he doesn't know he, if I KJ Adams can be a three point? I don't think he does want to see that. <laughs> Well, I don't I, think he does. I go back to the uh, Bill Self media availability from a week ago, and, and something that he said was, you know, they had been working on the offense, and they they don't have everything installed or plugged in, but that's some of the biggest stuff they've worked on so far is what we run and then what we run as a secondary, right? So we get the offensive rebound, we have to run something else, or that play doesn't work, we have to run something else. That's what yeah. we've been worked on. They haven't really worked on the defense as much, so I guess to that notion – I'm not as concerned about the defensive side of the ball. Like, if if they get torched on the defensive end, and it's like, oh no, is is this just bad? Like, I don't know. Do do you have troubles with a, a center who you know can't really switch like you had last year? I'm not going to be worried about it because they're they're not going to fine tune that stuff yet. I I think KJ Adams is 100 percent the most interesting player this weekend. I agree. No, I agree with that. I agree with that because he's the guy that. It's it's the simultaneous situation of you you know what KJ Adams is or was from his previous seasons. But you're right, he's moving positions again. He there's been a lot of talk about him looking to expand his game a little bit. What's the progress on that? Does he show any of that in this trip? Uh yeah, he's definitely the most interesting because like with Hunter Dickinson, he's Hunter Dickinson. Like it like it doesn't at the end of the day like you know what's going to go, you know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he has real collegiate production. With Kevin McCuller, you know what's going on there. Great defense. I guess I guess Unless Kevin McCuller shoots like 45% on a high volume from three over the course of the trip, maybe that'll catch your attention. But will it even then? Will, I don't will know. you be concerned with anything three-point shooting related? It's only three games. That's such a small sample. Probably not. You yeah. know how easy it'd be for Kevin McCuller to go I mean, I do two for see four how, one game and then go I mean, 0 for 4, 0 for I, 4, and he's 2 for 12? I do want to see Nick Timberlake put up some threes. But again, to that notion, if Nick Timberlake goes two for four the first game and then goes 0 for five the next two... I don't, But I don't care. I just want to see him shoot. Okay. You just want to see the stroke. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then, you know, Dewan Harris, you know what you're getting there, right? Elite point guard who can kind of do it all. So, to your point, yeah, KJ Adams is kind of the most intriguing guy because he's moving, he's moving a position from what he played when you last... when KU fans last got to see him play... There was obviously all that talk around him expanding his game. What has he done? Is he going to show any of that? Is he going to flash any of it in this trip? I don't know. That's why I think we're most interested to to see what he does. Yeah, yeah, he's 100% at the top of the list. I will say as much as, like I said, with the starting lineup for the two-guard, I this won't be the be-all, end-all. It still will be interesting to see how everybody's used. Like that whole collection of uh, El Marco Jackson, Artario Morris, Nick Timberlake, it's going to be very intriguing to see how they fit amongst each other, how Bill Self utilizes them, Yeah, who does at least have like the edge right now. I feel like it's very possible that all three of those guys start 
at the two, all three games. So you could see him just rotating a different guy every game. Yeah, that Timber, would be Timberlake, then El Marco, then Arterio. I could, I, Arterio, I could 100% see that happening. Timberlake, El Marco, El Marco, Arterio, Timberlake. I, and I actually think that would be really funny because you know what would happen is after the first game, after tomorrow. After Whoever tomorrow, start, everyone, everybody's going to like, react. Oh, right? oh, this guy's the next. Oh, he's going to be the starter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Saturday would be a different guy. And they'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> right? Uh, yes. I, I can actually 100% see that, that happening. And I actually kind of hope it does because I think that would be no, very there is going to be an insane amount of immediate reactions one way or another mm-hmm. from individuals on social media about KU. <laughs> yes. Now, tomorrow should be the, I don't know, easiest game. So to speak, because so it's, it's the select the, team. That's the Puerto Rico. Yeah, and then the last two are. But we don't really know about this select team with Puerto Rico. Like I don't know much about them. I think I they're a professional I team. I don't but know like, anything. Are they good? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> the last two games should be uh, a little bit more. And remember, the, with the Bohemian national team, they're playing multiple games back to back to back. I think against uh, KU, Texas A&M, and LSU. I think is the other team they're playing. LSU, yeah. So who knows what their lineups are going to look like against you know. Because obviously, if they're playing back-to-back-to-back, they're going to have kind of a split-squad situation. So who knows what uh, what guys are going to be playing. Like It may be, it may come out that it's like, oh, Buddy Heald is going to play, but he's not going to play KU. He's going to play in one of the other games. Sure. Or something like that. Do you, how, how liberal do you think Bill Self's going to be with his rotation in minutes? I mean, we, we always talk about how he you know narrows the rotation to seven or eight, and we've even seen the past couple years, even by the time it's November or December, he's going with the seven or eight he trusts. But we do know in the exhibition games, he is more liberal with the minutes. Yeah. And this is an exhibition game, even though yeah. it's a little more competitive than an exhibition Yeah, game. I will say this. If the game is like remotely close late, I feel like Bill's going to put in his, I agree with that. his like ultimate go lineup. So maybe that's a good takeaway we can have. If there is a close game late, we can see the guys he trusts. Yeah, right. because I do think if that – because listen, nobody wants to win more than Mr. Mr. Self himself. Nobody wants to win more than he does. So if it's a close game – if it's a close game late, I guarantee he's going to put in his best lineup, which I guess is going to be probably Dewan, Kevin, Hunter Dickinson, KJ, and then Timberlake or whoever has the hot hand, I guess, at the two spot. Yeah, it goes back to we don't really know with those with those two guards. Um, but that's probably your best lineup. Yeah, my my guess think. on the two guards for what it's worth, Timberlake is the best three point fit. El Marco's the best overall player. Artario is between both guys. Like he's the second best overall player. He's the second best shooter. So it's like, does he just get it because he's kind of the perfect mix of the? T- I I don't know. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I I, I do think Bill Self will have, um, he'll be pretty liberal with the minutes in this, to a certain extent. Like I'm not saying he's going to play Hunter Dickinson 20 minutes, Parker Brown 20 minutes. You know, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen there. Um, uh, but I do think, dude, if Parker Brown plays more than 10 minutes, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. What Let's what are the chances? What are the chances we do? I, what are the chances we see Parker Brown play next to Hunter Dickinson? Mm, not zero. Well, hear me out on this explanation. I don't think it's zero. What have we heard from multiple people, including Bill Self, about Parker Brown? He's allegedly the most athletic big man ever. Okay, right. Basically, I mean that's that's slightly exaggerating, but it's not really. It's not really exaggerating, said, right? No, he literally he said, said he's more he's athletic, more athletic than, than Christian Brown, Brown, right? Who's an athletic like, NBA make, player, right? It's just like insane. So, yes. So if, if Parker Brown is this athletic, and Parker Brown, he's not been a great three-point shooter, but he's been proficient enough to take them, 28% over his college career. If you're going to play K.J. Adams next to Hunter Dickinson, K.J. is a worse shooter than Parker Brown, 
Again, Parker Brown seems to be, if he's that great of an athlete, why can't he be as good of an athlete as K.J. Adams? Why couldn't Parker Brown play next to Hunter Dickinson if K.J. Adams can? I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Okay. So maybe we'll see it. Maybe. Even if it's just a little bit. Now, if we don't see it in this, then that probably means we won't see it for the season. Because this is the time to tinker. So if you're not even worried about tinkering or experimenting with a certain lineup or playing somebody right now, that's probably an indication it's not going to happen later. Then again, who knows if the roster is set and if they're going to add more players later, and that could throw a wrench in this whole thing. Okay, we're going to take a timeout, though. Again, you can hear that game tomorrow, pregame 1030, tip-off at 11 o'clock for Kansas against the Puerto Rico Select team. And uh, we'll have your show afterwards kind of talking about what happens in the game. Hear it here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We've got some uh, KU football player audio as well as some expansion talk coming up next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Uh, KU Camp just got going yesterday. We had a chance to hear from Lance Leipold, a bunch of the players today. Had a chance to hear from uh, Brian Borland, which we'll share that audio coming up next here on RCST. Uh, so far, over everything, over the first 48 hours, whether it's been you know, just hearing stuff, being around some of the morning stuff and the practices, uh, hearing from Borland, Lance Leipold, what to you is maybe the biggest takeaway or uh, the biggest thing that you have learned so far from the first two days? Yeah, well, it, it's tough because this time of year, you have to take everything people say about how enthusiastic they are with a grain of salt. But I still think my prevailing takeaway has been just of all the veteran leadership we heard from yesterday, all those players just talking about how it was a palpably different feel at camp this year. You know, how much faster everything seemed. That's what Rich Miller said. How, how thoroughly everyone knew what was going on uh, and how determined everyone was to build on the results from last year rather than being complacent. Again, these are the things you probably hear at every training camp for every team in every sport. But, I don't know, it really seems like they mean it. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of the attitude you have to have to make sure that last season isn't just a one-off and that can translate into a one or two or three years of protracted success. Well, and I think that brings up a really good point because I was actually thinking about that earlier today um, when you're listening to some of these press conferences trying to filter out what is coach speak and what is maybe, I don't know, truth and then what is maybe, like, inferred upon, right? Like, um, I don't know, I, I found it very interesting today at the Brian Borland press conference, the uh, question that was asked about, like, you know, replacing Kyron Johnson, Lonnie Phelps, and being this elite pass rusher. And, like, Hayden Hatcher was one of the first names brought up. You heard Dylan Brooks brought up for Auburn. Jeremy Robinson wasn't really brought up till the end, and he was brought up in the sense of trying to get him more consistent. Like, I don't know, do, do you view anything like that as, as reading between the lines to where it's like, oh, well, maybe this means that this guy's ahead of that guy in, in some regard, or... I, I don't know where where do you find the coach speak stuff versus the what's valuable in some of these press conferences? Yeah, it's extremely tough. Um, I, I thought Borwin, you know, in that particular question, I thought it was rather honest of him to say that they don't have a standout pass rusher. I mean, it's you can acknowledge as Leipold did yesterday and as he did today 
that people on the defensive line have physically improved, that they all seem to be taking steps in the right direction without saying that you're going to have some breakout guy. Um, and I think KU probably needs one of those guys to take a substantial step forward. I mean, this is a conference where, at least for one more year, you've got to face Dylan Gabriel, Quinn Ewers, those kinds of guys. You need to have someone who can be a standout pass rusher just to uh, draw the attention of the linemen, uh, make things difficult in terms of the game plan for opposing coaches. Um, and I admired his honesty in saying that they don't have something quite like that just yet. But generally speaking, yes, it's very difficult because this time of year, it's still all hypothetical. You know, we, we get to watch our little 20, 25 minutes of practice. And so we're seeing some concrete things on the field. But really, all we're doing is trying to extrapolate from that into 12 games of regular season against teams across the country that are all going through their own versions of the cycle right now. So, yeah. It's, it's really, really difficult to determine what's real and what's extrapolation. Yeah, well, and, and I do think that, again, if you, if you kind of take what you have, one of the things that I, I did find interesting was in talking to Lance Leipold at Big 12 Media Day, uh, I remember asking him a question about, like, having a trusted back end, having a lot of, uh, you know, defensive backs back, does that give you more confidence in, I don't know, maybe mixing things up, blitzing more, being more aggressive on, on that side of the ball, and you know, he kind of said yes, and uh, then today you hear from Brian Borland because of going back to the defensive line thing that, yeah, maybe they don't have that star rusher. Maybe they do have, you know, seven or eight guys that are all quality, but they don't know if they have that that one guy to take kind of that step. And you hear him talking about Craig Young and his usage and, and that he could be somebody who blitzes and uh, the way that they're doing things a little different, that there's less stagnation, guys are moving around, guys are adjusting pre-snap, post-snap, all those things. The way that Brian Borland talked about it today, do you get any sense that maybe this could become a very aggressive defense? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I don't think you necessarily want to, I, I I thought the Craig Young line of questioning today was interesting because I don't think you necessarily want to rely on admittedly kind of a tweener player, like a linebacker who is the safety and, and a safety who is the linebacker. I don't think you want to rely on that as your primary source of pass rush. I think that uh, this is a defense that may end up relying on the strength of its secondary uh, to maybe not go super heavy into the pass rush. I think that, that the secondary has some of the strongest returning talent of any unit on the team, despite some of its results from last year. I mean, you look at players like Kobe Bryant and Kenny Logan. Uh, we've heard praise for what O.J. Burroughs and Marvin Grant were able to do in the offseason. I just think that's going to be a strong unit, and I think maybe then rather than investing so much in getting after the quarterback, especially if no one's really, uh, if no one's really standing out in that way, uh, you rely a bit more on the strength of your coverage then. If, if the defense can improve from where it was last year, which, you know, Brian Borland sounded confident today that that's the goal and they don't want to be the weak link, I think was the, the phrase that he used. If they can improve yeah. from where they were last year with as much back as the offense has, what do you think the ceiling and the floor of this team will be in terms of, you know, what they can produce win loss wise? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I think the first time I talked to you on this show, Derek, I said that all you need from the KU defense, the way the offense has been doing is a, like a replacement level, a more sort of average performance rather than being 108 out of 131 teams and passing yards allowed per game or whatever it was. I think if you get a performance like that, uh, you're you're in the seven seven win range. That's that's my feeling. I think that um, just based on the pure continuity 
from last year uh, and another year in the system of Leipold and Kovnicki and Borwin and all these guys, I think you'd expect that with all this returning talent, they can go on a linear upward trajectory from last year, but they need to do something about the defense just to get it up to a viable level. But again, if it, if it's viable, it doesn't need to be extraordinary. If it's viable, if it can have more games that are played in the thirties than in the forties, um, I think you can see seven or eight wins. Now I'm not saying it's super realistic. The big 12 is incredibly competitive this year. And, the downside of continuity is you have all the same players who struggled at times last year. Um, but I think that with a, yeah, I think that in a, in a good scenario, you can improve on a win total by one or two uh, with, with just a, a average level defensive performance. Whether it's a player, a position, a unit, I don't know, just something in general. What right now is, is still your biggest question remaining as camp goes on about KU football just in general? Question remaining... Yeah, I, I think this isn't a question so much because I think it's especially weak, but I'm really interested to see what happens with the linebackers. That's one of the areas where there's been the most smoke about who may or may not be a breakout. We've heard a lot about J.V. Brown, the tenant from Bowling Green. We've heard about Taiwan Burial taking a step forward. Uh, we know Rich Miller's got plenty of experience under his belt at this point, but that's one group that I think could be really key to the kind of defensive turnaround that we've mentioned. I think we'll... We'll talk to them more as training camp goes on, obviously, and we'll talk to Chris Simpson. We'll get a better sense of where things are at with them. But that's a position group that, that intrigues me for sure. We're talking with Henry Greenstein. You can find all his work on the uh, LJ World at KUSports.com. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Henry Greenstein. Uh, tomorrow tips off KU basketball's first of three games in Puerto Rico. I know you had been detailing along, and, and we even talked about this last week, about you know, we don't really know how many of the players from the Bahamian national team as part of the last two games of the slate are actually going to play. I think last night they released the actual roster, uh, which does have DeAndre Ayton. It does have, I believe, Michael Thompson, the brother of Clay Thompson, though I didn't see Clay Thompson on there. Buddy Heald was on there. And, and again, we don't know which ones would play and wouldn't, which would sit out, which would just be there, which would be playing in maybe some of the other games they have kind of going on. Um, but as we get closer now, we're, we're less than 24 hours out from the first game any idea on the level of competition they're going to be going against whether it's this first game against the uh, select team or or the bahamian teams yeah certainly i think it'll be lower uh with the puerto rico select we we think we don't know as much about them but i also think that with those nba caliber players that naturally puts the bahamian team uh a step above um but no i i don't yet have have concrete information as i alluded to last month on the show i mean the bahamas is playing a bunch of different colleges that are on summer tours who knows who gets allocated where but i do have this inkling in this hunch that they'll probably send some of their strongest talent at face ku in puerto rico and i don't know i i'm as excited to see a hunter dickinson versus deandre matchup as anyone simply because i think that could be a real growth experience for dickinson and help him learn a bit about his play style and how he might need to refine it uh, heading into the season and beyond. Okay, let's say we do get that matchup, Hunter Dickinson, DeAndre Ayton. And uh, I'm asking you to do a little projection here, but let's say Hunter Dickinson goes for, I don't know, like 20 and 12, something stupendous uh, <laughs> while he's playing against DeAndre Ayton. What would that make you feel about his prospects this year at KU? Well, you know, I, I talk about extrapolation. It's hard to extrapolate from just one game, but I do think that would certainly kick the hype machine into overdrive. I mean, 
this is a very talented KU roster that has a lot of different offensive options, but we do know that, um, you know what, Here, here's my unconventional answer. I think it might depend on how he scores those points. Uh, because perimeter shooting is something that Bill Self has already acknowledged as a weakness. If we see that Hunter Dickinson, who has been talked about as an option to score from the perimeter, even though he's the center and they want to play through him in the middle, if we see that he is able to score consistently from the outside against some players who are NBA caliber talent, I think that would make people a lot more optimistic. Now, again, not necessarily what you want your center doing all the time, especially in a system where sometimes it's like four people around one in the paint. But I think that that might help to assuage his concerns if he's able to show an inside and outside scoring set like a lot of people believe that he can. Um, however, I do think that regardless of the ways that he were to achieve his hypothetical performance, I think if you see Hunter Dickinson with 20 and 12 playing against an NBA veteran, like I said, the entire KU internet will, will go like DEFCON 1 and get incredibly excited. <laughs> yeah, that, that's 100%. I feel like the, the possibility um, that can happen that will lead to that the most. Like if, if Kevin McCuller goes for 20 points or whatever, it, it's one thing. But yeah, if Hunter Dickinson does it against DeAndre Ayton, that would uh, certainly lead off the hype machine. Now, we talked last week and you, you wrote your article about the, the shooting guard position. Um, being the the one of most intrigue maybe for this three-game trip for KU and Puerto Rico. What about outside? Players, I'll give you the choice of any player who's not in the running to maybe start at the shooting guard position. What player are you most interested to watch or or find out how they perform in these three games? I think K.J. Adams uh, is my consideration there. Um, The main one is simply because We've seen him thrive against all odds as that sort of undersized center, but that's not what he's going to be relied on now. And, you know, there's been plenty of questions in the offseason, like, hey, how's KJ doing on his jump shot? I've been guilty of asking that to basically every player that we've had the chance to talk to. Um, but, yeah, we're going to see it in game action. We didn't really get a good sense of that from the camp scrimmages. We're going to see what it means for KJ to play the four and how he adapts his style against pretty tough competition. Um I'm not sure exactly how his skills is going to translate because it's been very heavily invested in, you know, getting those boards and going hard inside and whatnot. And there's still plenty of opportunity to do that from the floor, obviously, but it's going to be different and they're going to be playing around Hunter. And I, I don't know. I'll be very interested to see how KJ has adapted to that. Circling back to the, the two guard, the shooting guard conversation uh, with another week and hearing from Bill Self and Kevin McCuller and Nick Timberlake last week, uh, since that article came out, who would be your favorite right now to start at the two, at, at least for that first game? Well, I'm not sure this is the popular opinion in the KU commentary right now, but I'm I'm still thinking Timberlake. I mean, especially knowing that perimeter shooting is something at the forefront of self's mind. It's like if you're going to give the bulk of minutes someone other than Timberlake, that would seem to diminish uh, your perimeter shooting acumen. There, there's talk that Arterio Morris could be good at shooting from distance, but that hasn't totally been borne out in the numbers he, he showed at Texas. Um, I think if, if shooting something that's top of mind for Selvin and his staff, Timberlake should probably be the pick at least to start in that role. Who would be second? Do you think it would be more likely Arterio Morris or Marco Jackson? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to say Arterio simply because I think that El Marco 
would be the first choice to spell Dewan Harris, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not sure exactly who would be the first off the bench in terms of minutes in this scenario, like who would be a technical sixth man. But, yeah, I think that there's a chance that we see Marco running the offense as the point guard as his primary role off the bench and then sometimes sliding over. I don't know. I'll be interested to see how they manage it. It's a lot of sort of different but overlapping talents in these positions. He is Henry Greenstein. You can uh, give him a follow on Twitter, at Henry Greenstein. You can check out all his work, ljworldkusports.com. Henry, anything that that you want to plug that either you have up right now or or that you're going to be having coming up uh, over at kusports.com? Yeah, just one thing. I mean, I'm excited this season. A lot of the uh, beat writers for various print newspapers and the markets that have the Big 12 college football teams are collaborating on a weekly power ranking that's going to happen during the season. Not sure how much I can say about that right now, but I'm excited to be a part of that, and I guess keep an eye out for that when the season gets underway. All right, you can find that, KUSports.com and in the LJ world. Henry, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a good rest of your Wednesday. Thank you, and likewise. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to share some Brian Borland audio with you on the other side. We also have two RCST trivia matchups coming at you today. Patrick Schrader, KU women's basketball assistant coach, will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, and we've got some more KU football audio with Mike Nowitzki and Trevor Cardell. All that and more coming up here on RCST with FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got two RCST trivia matchups coming at you today. Uh, The first here will be Cooper Wright versus 10th-ranked Kyle Coffey. Our second matchup will be number two, Michael Plank against Jackson Schneider. And this is a very big week for Kyle. Very big week for Kyle. I mean, it is for Cooper as well, but Kyle has the expectations of what he did last year. Had a rough week one, just three points. Yeah. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to get back in the favor of the RCST football trivia limelight. Yeah, we've seen a couple of guys that we thought would be favorites to make the playoffs or make deep runs that got off to slow starts in week one. And a couple of them have bounced back, and Kyle Coffey is another one of those guys that I think we maybe expect to bounce back a little bit. But I think Cooper is a pretty formidable opponent, too. He's somebody who definitely knows his stuff uh, from modern K football, so this should be an exciting matchup. Uh, I think that if we had odds makers, probably Kyle would be favored a little bit, but uh, still should be uh, a good matchup. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. First, RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, and McDonald's is Mr. D's Auto Wash. It's the same ownership in Lawrence. You can go grab yourself a burger, some fries, a McChicken. You can get your car washed at Mr. D's Auto Wash right across the street on 6th Street in Lawrence. Into our first matchup of the day. Well, Cooper Wright and Kyle Coffey going at it for our first trivia matchup for today. And uh, Kyle hangs on to a top 10 ranking based on a really solid performance last year. But a tough week one for Kyle here. Again, still ranked 10th. Uh, Cooper is coming out of the Jayhawk Trophy Conference. He put up six points in his opening round performance. Kyle with the three points. He's coming out of the Engraving Experts Conference. This is a non-conference matchup between the two of you, but uh, both sitting at 0-1, you want to get that first win so you can uh, really feel good about your playoff chances after that. Cooper, let's start with you. Uh, Takeaways from your first performance in trivia and how you feel in here in week two. Um, you know, I, I was okay with how I did, you know, I was, I was really just trying to see how hard these questions were and, uh, just being able to get one, 
I was okay, but hopefully today I can do a little bit better and maybe win. Yep, and uh, we made him a smidge easier this week, so hopefully that's helpful. Still difficult, though, but uh, Kyle, now you had a tough first week. You've been a really good competitor in this event, uh, but but kind of a down first week. We've seen a couple other competitors, though. Kyle Martin had three in the first week. He bounced back with 16 this week. Uh, Justin Nichols had three in the first week. I think he had 16 yesterday. There have been good bounce backs. Do you feel like there is pressure, though, for you to bounce back here today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been listening the last couple of days, uh, figuring out, uh, kind of seeing what those guys who were kind of struggled like me were doing. And uh, they had some good weeks. And, and when the questions were being asked, I felt confident with the answers uh, that I had uh, stored there. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful to uh, to move up the rankings and not just hold on by reputation only by uh, doing it by performance. So we're going to see how... Uh, today goes but we'll just we'll figure it out you know cooper you know first time you, you kind of don't know what's going you know what's going to happen there and so uh we're excited to see what happens all right well uh cooper you're the unranked team so i'm gonna let you call the coin toss do you want heads or tails i'll go tails all right it is tails and that means you have the choice do you want to go first or second uh i'll go second all right, so Kyle, you're going to be up first. We'll start in the easy round. This is the first quarter. They are worth three points. Kyle, give me the last name of this 2010 KU starting quarterback whose first name was Jordan. Webb. Yep, Jordan Webb is the right answer. Not an ultra successful time at KU, although compared to what came after him, it actually ended up being okay. All right, Cooper, your first question to tie us at three. Give me the last name of this 2002 KU quarterback whose first name was Bill. Bill Williams? You had the W right. It was Bill Whittemore. Bill Whittemore, one of the all-time great KU quarterbacks. And uh, the first one for Mark Mangino. All right, that's all right. Still a lot, a lot of game in front of you. It is 3-0 as we head to the second quarter. Kyle, your question for six points in the medium round. This Jayhawk two-way player earned third-team AP All-American honors in 2004. Charles Gordon. Yep, Charles Gordon, Commissioner Gordon, with the uh, six points there for you on that one, Kyle. All right, good bounce back for you already, Kyle. That's nine points for you. Cooper, this is a big one here to uh, push you back within striking distance. Your medium question for six. This Jayhawk linebacker earned third-team AP All-American honors in 2005. And I don't know. <laughs> All right. The correct answer is Nick Reed. Nick Reed, he was a former Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year for Kansas in 2005 for that great defense for KU. All right, 9-0 the score. Kyle, you're in front. If you can hit this hard round question, you secure the win. Otherwise, Cooper would have a chance to do it with back-to-back correct answers. Kyle, your hard question worth seven points. Prior to the Liberty Bowl versus Arkansas, the last time that Kansas had 600 total yards of offense came in a 55-3 to non-conference win in 2007 against who? FIU. Woo! No hesitation needed. 
I think Kyle's having that strong bounce back, showing why he was one of our playoff contenders a year ago. Florida International is the correct answer, and that is seven points your way. You have clinched the win. But again, total points do matter. So, Cooper, let's see if you can get one here. Your hard question. The second most yards that KU had in a game in that 2007 Orange Bowl season was against Nebraska. First was obviously FIU. The third most yards that they had in the Orange Bowl season was 556 of them in a 45-7 to win over what Big 12 opponent? The Colorado. It was a Big 12 North opponent, but unfortunately it was Iowa State. The correct answer on this one. All right. So, Kyle, you've got a chance to do what nobody's done so far in trivia. That is have a perfect score. If you can answer this really hard question correctly, worth eight points. Kyle, Kansas defeated BYU in the 1992 Aloha Bowl. Who was the notable starting quarterback for the Cougars, who was the younger brother of an NFL great? Do I have to get the first name? Yes. (laughs) On this one. Oh, man. On this one, you do. Um. So it's Detmer. I know that. And it's a T. I know that. Um, we're going to go Troy Detmer. It was actually a younger brother of Steve Young. It was Tom oh, Young. Tom Young yes. was the correct answer there. But that, that was a good train of thought. You had another all-time BYU great quarterback. So that was a good one there. But nonetheless, 16 points. That's a real good round yeah. for you. Good bounce back. All right, Cooper, let's see if you can get on the board with a hard question of your own, or a really hard question of your own. Kansas defeated UCLA in the 1995 Aloha Bowl. Who was the most no, who was the notable freshman starting quarterback for the Bruins? who was later a Heisman finalist in his career. Troy Aikman. He was a Heisman finalist, but yeah, just a little bit later there. Cade McNown is the correct answer on that one. So 16-0, Kyle, you get the victory. Uh, Kyle, how does it feel to have this nice bounce-back performance? It was really nice to be able to bounce back. I wish... You know, I had some of the uh, really hard questions from earlier in the week. Like, I had Spencer Rowe locked mm. up, ready to go on the uh, two-point conversion one for Iowa State. So, uh, excited, though, to get 16 back. Hopefully, that uh, bumps up the rankings a little bit and uh, kind of brings a renewed focus that it's not just a uh, – or this is just a one-off uh, performance issue that I had week one. You know, sometimes teams come out a little flat, and uh, we'll see how uh, it goes here next week. Cooper, what, what was the question you're going to look back on and be like, man, I, I wish I would have known that, or, or I don't know, was there a question that uh, Kyle got that, that you would have known? Yeah, uh, the both of the round three questions, I, I could have definitely gotten the Florida International one. I definitely had a educated guess there, and then I should have been able to get Iowa State too. So that's probably the ones I want back the most. Mm. Well, nonetheless, you, you still got another chance to, to get that win in week three. Kyle, that's a big win for you. Guys, we appreciate you being a part of this thing, and uh, we'll see you both next week. Thank you. Appreciate it as always, guys. Thanks. So, Kyle, man, that that's flexing his muscle. Uh, again, This that's what week two has been about. Week two has been about the redemption week for, yep. for players who yep. we know are really good but had low-scoring week ones. They've really shown it here in week two. Yep. Guys who got off to slow starts have, have pretty much bounced back, and 
you know, I think it was probably just a situation where I'm sure there are some some of our contestants who are like this, where especially some of the guys from basketball who just thought, you know, I'm pretty good at trivia. I'll be fine to start the season. And maybe they realized that they needed to study a little bit more for the second week. Uh, so, but that's nice to see. It's nice to see that some of those uh, upper level guys are, are bouncing back because, again, this is another situation where, I mean, if you start the season 0 and 2, you're probably not ha- you probably don't have any chance of making the playoffs. So for a guy, I'll like be Justin, interested to see if we get a one and two team in. Yeah. It's going to be tough. I think it's possible if you have the right points, but you're right. It it makes it very difficult. Yeah. So for a guy like Justin, for Kyle also who lost in week one, for those guys to get wins this week it was very significant because. 0-2 just doesn't really give you much of a chance, I think. Now, if you're 1-1, obviously you just you, you go to the next week, and if you can win next week, you're probably going to have a good chance to make it in. Or at the very least, maybe if you do have another high-scoring week in your final week, you'll have enough points potentially to, to make it in. Yeah, and But I wonder, I wonder if, uh, you know, for somebody like, uh, like Justin or Kyle, low scoring in the first week, does that come back to bite them? If another, if there's another team that maybe ends up going one and two mm-hmm. or whatever, who maybe instead of having three points week one had nine, and was able to score consistently over the course of all three weeks, and maybe might have more points. Yeah, and and I think in the case of Kyle, it was even more important for him maybe than Cooper from that regard because, you know, what if Jackson in our next matchup can beat Michael Plank to where, then Cooper could try to beat um, Jackson in the final week. And then it'd be a three-way tie at one and one. Whereas with Kyle, he already lost to Isaac. And and you heard Kyle saying he would have known the really hard of the Spencer Rowe. I actually got a message from Isaac uh, or from somebody who said Isaac knew the Spencer Rowe one as well. <laughs> so you have that Titan in your own division to where maybe... Yeah, I mean, at this uh, point, Kyle's you know, just banking on an uh, op Exactly, on a, exactly. On a, uh, uh, not a... No, I guess at large. I guess it's not much easier for Cooper because you do have Mike Plank in, in front of you who is that Titan as well. But... Yeah. I think Jackson's going to give him a good matchup, which that one is going to be coming up next. So we'll get into that on the other side. Trivia, one of our title sponsors, Johnny's Tavern, in 2023, celebrating their 70th year anniversary, all the way from the original location in North Lawrence to any of your new locations with the 13 locations of Johnny's to Topeka and the newest store in Raymore, Missouri. Try all the great food, try all the great beer, including the new Blue Collar Lager, a beer you can only get at Johnny's that's brewed by Free State Brewing Company. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. That's our first trivia matchup of the day. Done. Our second one between Michael Plank and Jackson Snyder comes up next on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Our second and final trivia matchup of the day coming up here. RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, and McDonald's. Jayhawk Trophy with all your custom awards and engraving experts in Lawrence, whether it's a trophy, a plaque, or tumblers, you know, something that you want your logo or insignia uh, engraved or etched on, they can have you covered with Jayhawk Trophy. Uh, so Jackson Schneider, 1-0 in week one. He won a close one in overtime. He's unranked, though. Number two, Michael Plank, our defending champ. We were talking off air. You are worried about what could happen in this matchup to Jackson. Yeah, no, I think Jackson is going to get absolutely blasted. He has no <laughs> chance. Uh, the first game was a fluke, and that's represented by the fact that he's not ranked because the the committee, the the pollsters know that that was a fluky win and know that he has no chance. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Mike's got a chip on his shoulder. He dropped in the rankings off of his number one spot to number two after, after a win even. Uh, so he's got something to prove here. And uh, I, yeah, I think this is going to be this. This this could get ugly, Derek. This this could get ugly. <laughs> okay, well let's uh, get into the matchup. Our defending champion, Michael Plank, oddly enough, was usurped. He was he was number one in the preseason. He won it all last year. He still got a first place vote. I won't say who gave him the first place vote, but I would just say I'm a big believer in Mike. 
Um, <laughs> There's only three votes. <laughs> Obviously, it was one, it was somebody. Well, nonetheless, uh, he dropped to number two in the rankings, and he is taking on Jackson Schneider, who he could have a little chip on his shoulder too, because he won in week one, and he's not ranked in the top ten. Uh, so, Michael, I want to start with you. Are you ticked off at all that you're ranked number two now instead of number one? Or do you actually view this as a blessing that maybe there's a little less pressure on you? Oh, no, I think the pressure's probably still there based on just based on last year, right? But kind of like I talked about last week, you know, it's it's uh, at least from my point of view, it's all how the questions come at you and who gets what questions. And there's just there's too much which way the ball bounces, right? There's just too much luck involved here. So. We'll just, we'll just play and have fun and see how it goes and uh, try to get that first place boat back. All right. Well, Jackson, uh, I don't know. Is, is this intimidating, playing against a guy who's ranked number two, has a first place vote, who has a trophy sitting behind him? I feel like what you guys mentioned yesterday, I feel like the Citadel after Alabama lost. <laughs> so we're just going to go give it the best we can and, and see what happens. I feel like we got prepared pretty well by Taylor last week. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't leave anything out there, you know, against the number two guy defending champ. Yeah, you you got a lot of repetitions last week. Is there any fatigue setting in? No, uh, you know, we we got in the training room, we we stretched out, got everything good. I, I think we're ready to go. We're going to give it our, our best shot today. All right, well, Jackson, you're the unranked team here, so I'm going to give you the coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? Uh, it's a new day, so I'm going to go with tails and see how uh, that works. It is heads. <laughs> Of <laughs> All right, Michael, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I will let Jackson go first. Okay. So he's letting you go first. He's not making you. He's letting a, you go it's first. A, it's a privilege <laughs> yeah. for you to go first. We want the ball and we're going to go score. Oh. All <laughs> right. Well, Tim Hasselback, let's see if that uh, works out as poorly as it did for him. Okay. Uh, Jackson, you're up first in the first quarter. This is worth three points in the easy round. Finishing third on the Jayhawks in receptions and receiving yards in 2022 was what starting tight end whose first name is Mason? Mason Fairchild. Yep. Got a chance to talk to him. Media availed today. We'll have that audio for you sometime in the next day or two here on uh, RCST. All right, Michael, your first question in the easy round worth three points. After transferring in from Minnesota... This Jayhawk running back with a first name Kai finished third on last year's team in carries with 53 of them. I believe Thomas, Kai Thomas. That's right. Originally from Topeka. He was a really good player, football and basketball at uh, Topeka High. And, uh, you know, played pretty well in the uh, bowl game, actually. But, you know, didn't have the season that uh, I think everybody was hoping for last year. All right. Three to three, the score. We head into the second quarter. Back to you, Jackson. In KU's 2008 victory over Missouri, who led the Jayhawks with 14 receptions and two receiving touchdowns? Kerry Meyer. That's right. Kerry Meyer is the correct answer. Desmond Briscoe could have been another guest there, but Kerry Meyer was correct there and uh, came through with the big catch at the end as well. All right, it's 9-3. to three. Michael, let's see if you can tie the score headed into halftime. In that same game, KU beat Missouri in 2008. What defensive back led the Jayhawks with six tackles, three pass deflections, a forced fumble and two interceptions, and later had a NFL career? I'm going to go with Daryl Stuckey. That's right. So, kind of same vibe there. You could have gone with Meyer or 
Briscoe, you could have gone here with Stucky or Chris Harris would have probably been the other popular answer, but mm. both of you guys nailed those, and it is nine to nine headed into the second half of play. All right, Jackson, back to you. This hard one is worth seven points. In KU's fifty-one to fourteen loss to TCU in twenty nineteen, Puka Williams was bottled up to twelve rushing yards. What Jayhawk actually led the team in rushing yards in that game? Can you repeat the year? Yes, it was 2019. KU lost 51 to 14. Um, it was a bad game, but uh, yeah. Was it Carter Stanley? <clears throat> the correct answer on this one is actually Velton Gardner. I don't know if that name mm. rings a bell at all. Yeah. Well, that sucks. I had totally forgotten about him until you mentioned that. Well, and oddly enough, he only had four carries, but he had four carries for 61 yards in oh, the game wow. to lead the way, even though Puka was bottled up. Who didn't know that? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael, your hard question to take your first lead of the game. In KU's near victory at Texas in 2019, in which they lost 50-48, to Puka Williams led the team in rushing yards, who finished second with 65 of them. Let's go with Khalil Herbert. That one was actually Carter Stanley. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> you know, sometimes the first person gets the answer wrong and it ends up being the answer for the second one. You know, uh, sometimes I, I always feel bad when, when that happens to the first person, but... I don't know. That was a tough one. You would never think Carter Stanley was 65. That seems like a lot. All right. It's tied up 9-9. Nine to nine. We're headed into the really hard round. This is worth eight points. Jackson, your question. Playing from 1985 to 1988, name this Jayhawk who is one of five KU players to clear the 2,000 career receiving yardage mark. Oh, my God. I was just reading all the receiving Oh, God. Um, Vaughn? Vaughn is correct. Willie Vaughn, the right answer. And that is a huge hit for you, Jackson, to score eight points. And now, Michael, oh, the pressure is the on paid off. For, you to, for you to score this and tie it up. Michael, your question. This Jayhawk receiver finished eighth in the country in 1985 in receptions with 70 of them. What's his name? 85? 1985, correct. Let's go with Estel, Richard Estel. That is also correct, Richard Estel, and this is a hell of a matchup. I think at this Let's point, go. both of you guys are probably going to earn a uh, very high ranking next week, and uh, I, I should mention that this is a conference matchup, but obviously both of you guys won your first matchup. So if Michael does win this one, he clinches the division. Um, but both of you guys are are looking good for possible at-large berths, even for whoever loses, just because of the amount of points you're racking up. That said, it is 17-17. to 17. We are tied. This is the highest scoring regulation game that we have had um, as we head to overtime. And I gave Jackson the first coin toss. So, Michael, I'm going to give you the second one. Before I do that, no. reminder on the rules. Um, whoever goes first will pick what category they go into. Whoever goes second will either answer the same category or better if the first person hits. If the first person misses, 
Second gets to choose whatever category they want to try to answer and win the matchup, and we'll rotate who goes first and who goes second after the first one. So, Michael, do you want heads or do you want tails? Ugh, I don't want to pick. Um, <laughs> tails. All right. It is heads. Oh, my. Dude. <laughs> we are right. changing the coin after this. Jackson, <laughs> Jackson ridiculous. do you want to go first or do you want to go second in overtime? I would like to go second. Okay. And this is your second overtime matchup, so you've been a bit of battle-tested here so far. That means, Michael, you are up first. What category would you like to answer a question out of? Yeah, this is the hardest question I've been asked today. <laughs> um, man, Jackson's good. Let's go. Let's go hard. Let's go for seven. Okay. This is a risk when you're going first, but if you hit it, it's a uh, huge payoff. All right, Michael, your question. How many games did Kansas win in the 1990 season? Four. You were one off. Correct answer uh, was three. Three. Yep. All right. Well, Jackson, uh, do you want to go for the style points? Do you want to try to answer a medium or a hard? No, I, I want an easy, <laughs> and it's all out of respect for my opponent because I don't want to take any chances. Okay. That's totally understandable. All right, Jackson, your question for the win. Kansas has two players who wore the number six uniform in 2022, a quarterback and a linebacker. Name one. Uh, was it uh, Jalen Daniels? Don't don't do it, Jackson. Don't do it. <laughs> Jalen Daniels, Taiwan, Barry Hill were the two answers that would have worked on that one, and you got the win in overtime. Uh, Jackson, man, you took down the defending champ in OT. You're two and zero in OT. Uh, uh, talk me through. Where'd you get that uh, Willie Vaughn answer there? I literally was just reading about it because I, I remember listening earlier in this week and you were asking some questions about like all time receiving yards and things like that. And so that's just pure luck that I remembered it because and going to expose myself a little bit here. I've been known to enjoy some K-State football. So that name <laughs> stuck out because of Deuce Fawn. Uh, so just pure luck there for me, honestly. Okay, well, sometimes the questions go your way. Michael, um, obviously it doesn't feel good to lose, but you know, losing with 16 points in overtime uh, when, when you took a risk in OT, like th this has got to be, I don't know, as, as good as you could feel after a loss, maybe? Question mark? Uh, well, yeah, sure. Um, Jackson, he knows his stuff, obviously. And, uh, I mean, I knew the the uh, his hardest question, too, and so the mine was an educated guess, but... Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, that's how the questions come at you, right? That's, that's just the look of the draw there. If, if you could go back and do it over again, would you have asked for a medium question that round instead? Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what we know now. Yeah, but, sure. uh, but yeah. Okay. Well, Michael, I, I misspoke 17 points. Uh, Jackson, you come up with 20 through the overtime. Uh, both of you guys are sitting pretty Jackson at this point. Um, you know, you leave the division open that uh, even Cooper could come through if he can beat you and force a three-way tie. But, uh, Michael, you're, you're, you're sitting pretty. You got 27 points through two matchups. So uh, both of you guys should be uh, looking pretty good for the playoffs. Obviously, obviously, nothing's guaranteed, but we appreciate both of you joining, and uh, that was a wonderful matchup. Good work, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Derek. Good luck, Mike. Yep, good luck, Jackson. Wow.
Is that the upset uh, of the, the tournament so far? I think it has to be, right? Although, is it really an upset? Because clearly Jackson knows his yeah. stuff. Yeah. I guess the pollsters were wrong. Clearly he should have been ranked. He'll probably, I would assume, jump into the... I don't know. I don't, don't want to. I don't want to doctor other people's polls, but for me, he'll probably be in the top five. Yeah, yeah. And, and Michael will probably still be in the top five too. Very impressive win. Very impressive win for Jackson. Uh, you know, I guess I was wrong. It, he's not a fluke. Uh, and this win also pretty much locks him up to make it into the playoffs at this point. I mean, yeah, I would say if you're two and zero, or if you have two wins, and he's Andy has scored double digit points in both of his games, he's got a pretty good chance to to make it in. So yeah. A very impressive performance from Jackson. Kudos, kudos to my guy. Good job. Uh, and I, but this isn't going to keep Michael Plank down. I mean, yeah. I, I fully expect we'll see Mike Plank in the in the playoffs as well. And maybe we, maybe we get a rematch of these two guys because that what that was. If it wasn't the upset of the of the season so far, that was probably the best matchup, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean it was awesome. Both guys hitting tied, really hard. We both haven't had guys that hit it really hard. Yeah. yeah. So just all, all in all, great matchup. Awesome stuff. All right, that is our CST trivia for the day. Again, one of our title sponsors here is 23rd Street Brewery with dine-in, carry-out, catering, all available. They have the outdoor patio to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, Haney Turkey Stack, any of the other great menu items. Don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their Crowlers. We'll have a couple more matchups of trivia coming at you tomorrow, but that's going to do it for today. Two hours down in the show, one hour to go. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be joined by a special guest, KU Women's Basketball Assistant Coach, one of their new ones, Patrick Schrader, is going to join us on the other side. we got some more KU football audio with Mike Nowitzki later in the hour as well. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on 5 o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. And we're joined now by another one of the new assistant coaches for the KU women's basketball team. That is Patrick Schrader, who had an original stint at Kansas, then coming back around here to Lawrence. Uh, I want to start right there. You were a grad assistant at KU before you know your most recent stop, obviously, at Pittsburgh State. Um, what what did you like most about your original time here in Lawrence that made you want to come back uh, now with with this job title of being an assistant coach here? Yeah, I would say that the the biggest thing was Brandon's leadership and his vision on the program. Obviously, it helps coming back to a team that's coming off of twenty and twenty five wins back to back seasons. But uh, just knowing his leadership, his brain for the game. Uh, obviously, he's got a ton of connections, knows a lot of people, but just his high IQ and his ability to lead the team, I just really uh, believed in everything that he was doing, I think. Uh, when you were at Pittsburgh State, most recently with the Gorillas, what was the biggest thing or, I don't know, biggest pieces of the game of basketball that you learned the most? Yeah, I would say the I mean, the biggest change or the biggest difference in being up here and being down there was our offensive style. Um, Run a lot of ball screens up here at KU. Um, known for our ball screen offense and defense, and then we did a lot of kind of dribble drive actions, uh, get downhill, put the ball on the floor. Uh, so the biggest thing was really just kind of integrating the two offenses. So we did start to run more ball screens at Pittsburgh State. Um, just that aggressive mindset of getting downhill, putting pressure on the rim with the passes or with a dribble versus the pass uh, and all the ball screen action. We're talking with Patrick Schrader here on RCST. How would you describe your coaching style? How do you want to come across as a coach to your players? Um, I would say that I'm a pretty pretty high energy, upbeat person, but also like have a high level of accountability. Um, just kind of how I've always been. Just uh, the the detail oriented aspect of 
having a high energy uh, is where really where I kind of like to live. Uh, Got to be energetic, support everybody all the time, but also get on them uh, as well whenever it's time to, hey, like we need to really need to focus on this, whether it's a defensive assignment, uh, communication in the half court, communication in the full court, communication off the court. Um, so really just being upbeat all the time. What position are you uh, going to be most in charge with, with coaching for the team? Uh, can you say that again? Uh, what position are you going to be most closely uh, correlated with coaching for the team? I'm going to be with uh, guards and wings. So all kind of our one through four uh, will be really where I'm at with uh, Coach Mo and Coach Rye. Well, uh, there's a lot of talent on the roster coming back for this year. Um, when, when you look at some of those guards that, that you're getting to coach every day from, you know, Yvette Mayberry to Holly Kerskeeter, Zakiah Franklin, uh, some of these players who were starters last year and are really electric guards. Uh, what, I don't know. What level of excitement is that from a coaching standpoint of getting to coach players that talented? Um, it's super exciting. I mean, we get to see four of the best guards, I think, um, toe-to-toe. If you look across the board, you just see our four guards and the tough four guards to, to match up with, with obviously those three and then also uh, Samaya Nichols. And I really think we're going to have a lot of depth as well. Right? We're going to start start strong and just continue with that depth across the board. Um, I think I think the cool thing is is being able to see truly how quick Wyvette Mayberry is in person. You get to see it on TV um, a whole bunch when I was ca- like catching up with the team. But her ability to get downhill, get to the rim in one dribble is just uh, fascinating. And then we just have a lot of a lot of big shot makers, uh, whether that's uh, finishing around the rim, uh, tough finishes, and knocking down a whole bunch of three pointers. How helpful is that from a perspective of what you guys want to do and you know, just from a coaching standpoint of having older, experienced players who know what they're doing can hit those big shots? Does that make your job easier? Oh, my goodness, absolutely. It makes everybody's job way easier. Uh, you don't have to call nearly as much. You don't have to manipulate the pieces. Uh, they just kind of go out there and make the plays themselves. I think one of the good things is as well is we feel like at any given time, we're going to have three quote-unquote point guards out on the floor, three playmakers that can do a little bit of everything. Obviously, get downhill on the bounce, play in ball screens, and just facilitate uh, in any one of those actions. It's fun. It's very, very fun to watch. You mentioned Samaya Nichols, and, and obviously, you know, a local kid, freshman, highly rated recruit. Um, what about her game is going to make her a really good player here in Lawrence? Um, I would say it's actually the, like something that's intangible and just her ability to lead and communicate. Uh, she's not shying away from like freshmen come in sometimes and they kind of shy away from being that voice that they've been for three or four years in high school. And she's really just embraced that uh, every step of the way. So she's being a very big vocal leader. Obviously, she's super strong, um, gets down to the rim and hits those shoulder bumps and can finish through anybody, um, I think. But that, that off-court leadership, even that on-court leadership and her ability to communicate everything, the thing that I've loved watching the most so far. That, that probably speaks very highly then of her, too, if her leadership's coming across on, on a team of veterans, right? I would imagine that's got to be tougher for a player to, to have those traits and aspects show off uh, on a team where you, you do have all these returning starters. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess that um, kind of speaks to uh, that, what you're just talking about. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And I think the, the good news is, is we have veterans, but they also understand that like you have to give your underclassmen room to breathe and room to grow in their own right. Uh, if they were just suffocating the whole time and, oh, this, we're doing it this way, this way, this way, I'm going to be the only one to talk. Uh, I don't think you have a lot of growth in the long run. And they, they know that they have to kind of step back at times and let her 
make a mistake, right? Say the wrong thing, but also give her give her that fuel to uh, continue to grow her leadership. And can you tell that you know, like from Holly and Zakaya and stuff, that that they are trying to take her under their wing at all to you know leave the program once they're gone in, in really good hands afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, them and Yvette as well. Like, I think they're a very tight knit group, not just those four, but our team in general. I think they're very tight knit. Um, they hang out all the time outside of basketball. Um, so I think it comes a little bit more natural when you're comfortable hanging out outside of basketball and not just, oh, we're only friends on the basketball court. Um, I think it just comes a little bit more natural of taking somebody underneath your wing, uh, and helping them grow as a basketball player and a person. You were previously a graduate assistant at Kansas from 2019 to 2021. What are some of the biggest differences and growths in the program that you've seen from when you were last year versus where you are now? Um, I mean, obviously, all the players that we've been mentioning, but it, it also helps when you have a 6'6 rim protector like uh, Twin on the back line. It allows everybody to play a little bit more uh, relentlessly on defense and just post play in general. Um, that's I think one of the bigger bigger changes, obviously, the guards, uh, KB and Holly, have continued to uh, grow in their own right uh, since I was here last. Why that's an addition, she's grown. But having that, that inside presence to be able to throw the ball inside, 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 and open up all those three-pointers that we want to be able to knock down uh, really helps us offensively and then defensively. I mean, 100-plus blocks back-to-back seasons, I think, speaks for us on that end. Uh, before you uh, came to Kansas as a graduate assistant, you, you spent time as a practice player, student assistant at, at Emporia State. Obviously, there's uh, you know tiebacks for um, Brandon Schneider at, at, at the MIAA. Where does your connection and relationship with Brandon Schneider begin? Does it go back to your time at Emporia State? Um, yeah, a little bit. So, uh, Jory Collins, who is an assistant up here for a year, he was the he was the assistant under. Uh, Brandon Corey when they won the national championship in 2010. Um, so it kind of kind of started from that. Um, and then knowing Dylan Geiser, who was also a graduate assistant up here, we were uh, student assistants and practice players together at Emporia. So it's kind of like a little uh, coaching tree, I guess, coming from coming from the roots of Emporia State. Uh, and then I really I, I didn't I met him Brandon one time at a football game in I think my senior year, and then really obviously got to know him once I got up here and. Uh, the opportunity to take the GA spot um, back what, four years ago now. So that's when we really got to know each other and uh, continued that relationship uh, once I went back down to Pittsburgh State. You guys are going on a trip to Europe, Greece, and Italy, going to be on the stops here. How helpful do you think a trip like that is going to be for, you know, not just the, the team meshing together and getting extra reps and playing other teams, but from the coaching staff perspective, because there there are a lot of coaches here, including yourself, who – uh, you know, even though you're coming back, who are new to the team from, I guess, compared to last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes just comes back to that whole hanging out outside of basketball. I think we've got a very, very tight knit coaching staff, a very energetic coaching staff. I mean, I don't know if I go more than two and a half hours in the office without like crying, laughing. I think that's like a long stretch. Um, we're just very tight knit, always bouncing ideas off of one another, <laughs> sharing basketball basketball related um but obviously whenever you get to go do all that same stuff in uh rome and then greece um just makes it that much more sweet i think you just get a little bit more uh fluid and deeper conversations outside of because you're completely away from basketball essentially other than our two games we get to be more more personable and just talk to one another 
on a deeper level. Is there something you're most excited for off the court uh, in the Europe trip with, with Greece and Italy? Uh, the food, not even a question. I to get over there and uh, just try different dishes, try di- dishes that I've had here in the U.S., but just know that it's like a higher quality, um, a little bit fresher. Um, the seafood's fresher, um, being there in Sorrento, uh, right there on the coast and everything. So I think the food is going to be the biggest thing for me. I'm gonna, I might have four meals. Yeah, I'm jealous of you there. Uh, favorite thing to do with a day off in Lawrence? Favorite thing to do? Uh, golf. Okay. Or uh, hang out at Brandon's house. I think going to swim at Brandon's house would be a close second, but I would say uh, hitting the golf course would be number one for me. Who's the best golfer of the assistant coaches and Brandon uh, on the KU women's basketball staff? The, I haven't played. I've only played with Brandon and Brock one time. Um, that was back when I really first started golfing. I would say I think it's Brandon. I think Brandon's the best, but I, I'm sure Brock would argue uh, that he's he's got to be being the lefty that he is. All right. Well, uh, Patrick, I appreciate the time, man. Have fun in Europe and uh, good luck on this season. Of course, appreciate you having me. That was Patrick Schrader, new assistant coach. For the KU women's basketball team, they got a lot of new assistant coaches coming in, but uh, a lot of retaining talent. Brandon Schneider still there, and you know some other retainees on the staff as well. But uh, that'll be great opportunity for them going to Europe and you know trying to hone everything from a very talented team to take that next step into this year and, and maybe contend for a Big Twelve title. All right, uh, we're, we have some uh, KU football audio. We're going to get to you, Mike Davitsky, the KU center, Trevor Cardell, one of the team's tight ends. We uh, heard from them as part of the past couple days of KU football media availabilities. We'll share those with you on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.